Brothers and sisters, uh, our first reading tonight is Joshua 7, on page 155 of your Bible. But the Israelites acted unfaithfully in regard to the devoted things. Achan, son of Carmi, the son of Zimri, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of them. So the Lord's anger burned against Israel. Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Beth-Avon, to the east of Bethel, and told them, Go up and spy out the region. So the men went up and spied out Ai. When they returned to Joshua, they said, Not all the people will have to go up against Ai. Send two or three thousand men to take it, and do not weary all the people, for only a few men are there. So about three thousand men went up. But they were routed by the men of Ai, who killed about 36 of them. They chased the Israelites from the city gate as far as the stone quarries and struck them down on the slopes. At this, the hearts of the people melted and became like water. Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell face down to the ground before the ark of the Lord, remaining there till evening. The elders of Israel did the same and sprinkled dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Sovereign Lord, why did you ever bring this people across the Jordan to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? If only we had been content to stay on the other side of the Jordan. O Lord, what can I say? Now that Israel has been routed by its enemies, the Canaanites and the other people of the country will hear about this, and they will surround us and wipe out our name from the earth. What then will you do for your own great name? The Lord said to Joshua, stand up. What are you doing down on your face? Israel has sinned. They have violated my covenant, which I commanded them to keep. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen. They have lied. They have put them with their own possessions. That is why the Israelites cannot stand against their enemies. They turn their backs and run because they have been made liable to destruction. I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy whatever among you is devoted to destruction. Go, consecrate the people. Tell them, consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. That which is devoted is among you, O Israel. You cannot stand against your enemies until you remove it. In the morning, present yourselves tribe by tribe. The tribe that the Lord takes shall come forward clan by clan. The clan that the Lord takes shall come forward family by family. And the family that the Lord takes shall come forward man by man. He who is caught with the devoted things shall be destroyed by fire, along with all that belongs to him. He has has violated the covenant of the Lord and has done a disgraceful thing in Israel. Early the next morning, Joshua had Israel come forward by tribes, and Judah was taken. The clans of Judah came forward, and he took the Zerophites. He had the clan of the Zerophites come forward by families, and Zimri was taken. Joshua had the family come forward man by man, and Achan, son of Carmi, the son of Zimri, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, was taken. Then Joshua said to Achan, My son, give glory to the Lord, the God of Israel, 
and give him the praise. Tell me what you have done, do not hide it from me. Achan replied, it is true. I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. This is what I have done. When I saw in the plunder a beautiful robe from Babylonia, 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and took them. They are hidden in the ground inside my tent with the silver underneath. So Joshua sent messengers and they ran to the tent and there it was, hidden in his tent with the silver underneath. They took the things from the tent, brought them to Joshua and all the Israelites and spread them out before the Lord. Then Joshua, together with all Israel, took Achan son of Zerah, the silver, the robe, the gold wedge, his sons and daughters, his cattle, donkeys and sheep, his tent and all that he had to the valley of Achor. Joshua said, why have you brought this trouble on us? The Lord will bring trouble on you today. Then all Israel stoned him. And after they had stoned the rest, they burned them. Over Achan, they heaped up a large pile of rocks, which remains to this day. Then the Lord turned from his fierce anger. Therefore, that place has been called the Valley of Achor ever since. Brothers and sisters, now we jump to 8.30. Under the subheading, the covenant renewed at Mount Abel. Then Joshua built on Mount Abel an altar to the Lord, the God of Israel, as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the Israelites. He built it according to what is written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of uncut stones, on which no iron tool had been used. On it they offered to the Lord burnt offerings and sacrificed fellowship offerings. There in the presence of the Israelites, Joshua copied on stones the law of Moses, which he had written. All Israel, aliens and citizens alike, with their elders, officials and judges, were standing on both sides of the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, facing those who carried it. The priests, who were Levites, Half of the people stood in front of Mount Gerizim and half of them in front of Mount Ebal, as Moses the servant of the Lord had formally commanded when he gave instructions to bless the people of Israel. Afterward, afterward, Joshua read all the words of the law, the blessings and the curses, just as is written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all that Moses had commanded that Joshua did not read to the whole assembly of Israel, including the women and children and the aliens who lived among them. The second reading this evening comes from 1 Corinthians 5, verses 9 to 13, and it's found on page 809 of the Pew Bibles. I have written you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all, meaning the people of this world who are immoral or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave this world. But now I'm writing you that you must not associate with anyone who calls himself a brother but is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater or a slanderer, a drunkard or a swindler. With such a man, do not even eat. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? 
Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. Expel the wicked man from among you. Thanks, Sophie. Thanks, Scott. Let me have my welcome. There's a few new faces out there. My name is Paul. I'm the pastor here at 635. And we're in the book of Joshua. Uh, this is sermon number five of six. And if you could turn back to page 155. We're in Joshua chapter 7. We've all come tonight uh, in different headspaces. We've all come with different things on our mind. And so I'm going to invite you just where you are, just to spend a bit of time with God. To spend a minute by yourself, asking God to teach you tonight through his word. And then we'll listen to the word. Lord, our prayers that you would speak to us tonight, because uh, we, your people, are eager to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. I've called this sermon, uh, No Man is an Ireland. I don't know whether you've heard of that poem by John Donne. Here it goes. No man is an Ireland, entire of itself. Each is a piece of the continent, a part of the main. No man is an Ireland. And what he's saying is that we're all connected. So your actions impact me. Uh, your, your gladness should warm my heart, and your sadness should bring sorrow to my soul. It's really what the Apostle Paul said, you know, rejoice with those who are rejoicing and, and mourn with those who are mourning. Uh, when one part of the body suffers, the whole body suffers. He's saying that we are connected. In a church family, we're a body, we're a family. And so your hurts impact me and your joy should impact me as well. But I think we've lost that idea of connectedness, haven't we? We live in such an atomized, individual society. And we've introduced a term, it's a fascinating term, We, we now call it my private life. So, so my private life is none of your business. Uh, we used to call it my personal life. But now it's called my private life. And we're basically saying that's a no-go area. What I do in my private life has nothing to do with you. But is that true? Is that true as a Christian, as part of a church family? You see, to what extent does, do you consider your private life to have any impact at all to those here at Church by the Bridge? You see, when I read the Bible, the answer I get is that we're supposed to be very connected. And so my personal holiness, it will impact you. It should impact you. And your personal health should impact everyone around you. 
And so when I sin, the whole body is impacted by that. And when you sin, we should all feel it as well. And that's what we're grappling with tonight, this, this concept of, of what is sin, how much is it our individual responsibility, and how much do we suffer corporately? We look at Joshua 7 and 8, and I want to just walk through the text tonight. Spend a lot of time just walking through the text. This comes straight after the victory. If you've been with us, uh, they've just conquered Jericho. So the people of God have been marching around that city, remember, blowing their trumpets, and the people shouted, and the walls came tumbling down. And Israel moved straight to a new city. It's called Ai. And suddenly the whole mood of this book changes. We've had four weeks of, you know, God's presence and God's power and God's provision. It's just this amazingly joyful book. And then you hit chapter 7, it's like, bang! Sin, judgment, destruction, defeat, disaster. And verse 1 sets the scene so perfectly. 7 verse 1, the Israelites acted unfaithfully. In regard to the devoted things. Achan, son of Carmi, the son of Zimri, the son of Zerah, the tribe of Judah, took some of them. So the Lord's anger burned against Israel. Isn't that an unbelievable verse? They acted unfaithfully in regard to the devoted things. When they went into Jericho, the Lord God gave them just one command. Chapter 6, verse 18, he says, Just don't take any of the devoted things. But you know, God's not too bothered by the particular, is he? God doesn't expect total obedience. Surely it's just a little bit of things are okay, isn't it? And Achan stole that robe and that silver and that gold. And the essence of it is that Achan, he disobeyed God. He took what belongs to God and took it for himself. And so we're told in verse 1 that the, the Lord's anger burned against Israel. Isn't that interesting? One man stole, but the anger burns against the, all the people. Of course he's responsible. Achan was the one who took it, but the whole of Israel suffered in some kind of way. Because as Jesus says, you know, a, a bit of yeast works his way through the whole batch. So God is angry with the whole of Israel. Let's carry on. Verse 2, Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Beth-Avon. That word means house of iniquity. He says, go up and spy out the, the region. So the men went up and spied out Ai. Now what's unusual about that verse? This is the first time that Joshua hasn't waited on the Lord. He hasn't prayed. He's just gone about his own business, not seeking the wisdom of the Lord, just sending the spies straight in. And they're pretty confident in verse 3. Uh, they returned to Joshua and they said, oh, not all the people will have to go up against Ai. Just send two or 3,000. Don't weary all the people. Only a few thousand men are there. He's saying, look, We've just taken Jericho, and that was a massive city. This little city of Ai, it's just 12,000 people. Just send a few people. And so, verse 4, 3,000 men went up. 
But the battle was a total disaster. 36 men were killed. They were chased down the hill. And look at verse 5. At, at this, the hearts of the people melted and became like water. Do you recognize that phrase? Back in chapter 2, when the Canaanites heard about the all-powerful God, their hearts melted because they, they're fearful of this amazing God. And now God's own people are scared. So what does Joshua do? Verse 6, he tore his clothes. It's a sign of grief. It's a sign of mourning and lament. And then he prays. Now before we read the prayer, please remember that the Joshua does not know what you and I know. Joshua doesn't know verse 1. Joshua does not know that Achan has stolen some of the devoted things yet. It's an amazing prayer, verse 7. He says, Sovereign Lord, why did you ever bring this people across the Jordan to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites? If only we'd be content to stay on the other side of the Jordan. He's not angry with God. He's saying, I'm just confused. I'm perplexed. God, didn't you promise us this land? What are you doing? Oh Lord, what can I say now that Israel has been routed by enemies? And the hint is there at the end of verse 9. What then will you do for your own great name? That's the thrust of it. That the Joshua is so concerned about the, the honor and the name and the fame of his God. He will not let his God's name be trashed. And so God explains. I'd love to have heard what the tone of his voice was in verse 10. Stand up. Stand up. What are you doing down there? Israel has sinned. They've violated my covenant. They've torn up the agreement. They've given me the cold shoulder. They've ignored me. They've disobeyed me. And look at the end of verse 12. It's a terrible statement. I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy whatever among you is devoted to destruction. Let me be clear on verse 12. He is not saying, I'll be absent. Because back in chapter 1, God has said that he would never leave them nor forsake them. God is still going to go with them, but he's not going to be actively present. He's not going to work on their behalf anymore. He's not going to fight for them. It's this amazing dialogue. Joshua is saying to God, God, what have you done? Where were you? And God says, no, no, that's the wrong question. The problem's not with me. The problem is with, with you guys. You've sinned. Like, get rid of that sin. Get rid of the devoted things. Toss it out. And then you've got this whole procedure. I want you to imagine this. Like, there's, a, there's a crowd of 100,000 people. And you are Achan. And Joshua says, okay, we're going to call you out tribe by tribe and... And if you're aching, you're thinking, oh, look, no one saw me. <laughs> no one saw me take it. I'll be fine. And then the tribe of Judah's called out. And they're going, oh, my goodness. And then they call out the clan. And it's his clan. And then they call out the family. It's his family. And then they call out your name. That's what happens down in verse 18. So Joshua and his family came forward, come for, had his family come forward man by man, and Achan, son of Carmi, 
son of Zimri, the son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah was taken. Now don't you find that extraordinary? That Achan was from the tribe of, of Judah. He's from the best tribe. He had the best knowledge of God. He'd seen God powerfully at work. No excuses, and yet he is the one who deliberately ignores God. He's, he's got all the privileges, but he's the one who turns his back on God. And you compare that to chapter 2 of Joshua, where, where Rahab, who is a prostitute and no pedigree and no privileges, and she's the one who's accepted. Isn't, isn't that amazing? God is saying, I don't care about your pedigree, I don't care about your privileges, what I care about is your faith. Go back to the story, verse 19. So Joshua said to Achan, My son, give glory to the Lord. Give him the praise. Tell me what you have done. Don't hide it from me. Again, I find that interesting that Achan's already been identified. But Joshua still makes him actually stand up publicly and confess his sin. And articulate what he's done wrong. He needs to own it and to accept it. So, so, so Achan does that. He said, it's true, I've sinned against the Lord. And so Joshua sends in his messengers in verse 22 and they, they find the silver and they find the robe and they find the plunder and then the punishment begins. And let's be honest, it's horrific. Verse 25, then all Israel stoned him and after they had stoned his family, they burned them. And over Achan they heaped up a large pile of rocks which remains to this day. And then the Lord turned from his fierce anger. Uh, that's the resolution point in our story, verse 26. Then the Lord turned from his fierce anger. Because back in verse 1 we're told that the Lord's anger burned against Israel. But once sin has been acknowledged, once punishment has been paid, once someone has died for their sin then the Lord's anger is literally propitiated, it's turned away. And that's the turn of the chapter, really. Sin, 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 wrath, 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 wrath. But could the Lord's anger possibly be turned away? And the answer is yes. <laughs> Once sin has been dealt with, God's anger has been turned away. And then you move on to chapter 8, and uh, we're not going to go through it, but uh, basically what happens is that, is that AI is easily captured. And so Joshua sends 300,000 men, and, and they hide behind the city, and then Joshua, with a few men, walk up the hill towards the city, and the people in AI see Joshua come up the hill, they run out of the city to attack, and when they run out, the 300,000 people behind run into the city, take the city, and the city is theirs. And it's so easy. And then the, the, the scene changes from the, a war movie into a, a worship service as Joshua builds his altar in verse 30. is at Mount Ebal, exactly the place where the Lord first gave that promise to Abraham. And on that altar, they, they make burnt offerings, I'm totally devoted to you, God, and that fellowship offerings. But the interesting bit is in verse 34. 8 verse 34, Joshua read all the words, the blessings and the curses. And there wasn't a, a word of all that Moses had commanded that Joshua did not read to the whole assembly, the women, 
the children and the aliens. And what he's saying there is that, you know, they all heard the word of God. They heard the blessings, they heard the curses, and everybody was there, so there's no excuse. And that's the point of the story, that, that God is more interested in people obeying his word than he is by winning any battle. I want to focus on one thing. One application is the seriousness of our sin. I know that we don't like talking about sin, and I know that a lot of churches don't mention sin. Often people come to this church from other churches and they say, oh, I've never heard about sin before. Isn't that sad? The Apostle Paul says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And until you realize that you are a great sinner, you will not realize how glorious a Savior you've got. Until you realize that, that your sin is a, a stench in the nostrils of a holy God, you will not really understand how beautiful and amazing Jesus Christ really is. What is sin? The Bible describes sin as a transgression where you, you cross a boundary, you overstep a mark, or you, you take something that doesn't belong to you. Or it's a, a falling short of a standard where you don't meet up to God's perfect standards. And we're all individually responsible. Did you spot why Achan sinned? He, he sinned for the same reason that you and I sinned today. He doubted God's goodness. That's the root of his sin. He doubted God's goodness. He got into Jericho and he thought, well, why shouldn't I have some treasure? Why shouldn't I have some pleasure? Who is God to tell me what I can and can't do? That's not fair. I need it. I want it. Do you know the irony? If you read the beginning of chapter 8, verse 2, when they captured Ai, God said to them, you can carry off all the plunder. If he just waited a few days, God would have provided for him amazingly. But that's what happens, isn't it? We, we lose sight of how good God really is. Because if he doesn't act according to our time and our agenda, we just take our lives into our own hands. I want it, I must have it, I'll get away with it. And so he disobeys the word of God. This is the core of Achan's sin. Achan would rather have the, the treasures of this world than a, a humble, obedient relationship with God. The sparkles, the trinkets, the treasures of this fleeting world, they're, they're so seductive, they're so enticing, and they promise so much. Remember who Achan is? Achan is from the, the best tribe. He was there when they marched around Jericho. He was there when the walls came tumbling down. He's seen God's power. He's seen God's presence. He's seen God's provision. He, he was there when God provided food and water. And I imagine he walked into that city and you know, he, he spotted that robe, that, that beautiful Babylonian robe. And he probably thought, oh, my wife would love that. And he spotted the two kilograms of silver and he thought, oh, that would be enough to keep our, our, our family fed for the rest of our lives. And he's probably thinking to himself, you know, no one can see me. This won't be missed at all. I mean, it's about to be burned, so there's no harm in doing this. I deserve it. Look what I've just done for God. So Achan looks at it and he, he covets it and he longs for it and then he, 
he reaches out for it and he grabs it and he takes it. And then he starts to lie. And isn't that our story with sin? Whether it's your struggle with greed, gluttony, self-pity, pride, laziness, lying, sexual immorality, pornography, hatred, whatever it is. We, we kind of talk to ourselves, don't we? I deserve it. I deserve a bit of pleasure. Just, just my personal enjoyment and no one can see me. No one can see me. So, and lots of, lots of other people will do the same thing. God won't mind. God's got bigger fish to fry. I mean, think about the mass murderers and the, the rapists and the people sending kids into the sex slave industry. Uh, my little issue of greed. Uh, God won't care about that. But God does care. And God does see. And, and, and your sin and my sin really matters to a God because he is holy. And perhaps that's why we find this passage so offensive because we have not grasped the holiness of God, the seriousness of our sin, and the severity of God's wrath. There's a sermon preached many, many, many years ago, a famous sermon by Jonathan Edwards called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. I don't think it should be preached in many churches today. <laughs> I read a bit. He says, The God that holds you over the pit of hell, much as one holds a spider or some loathsome insect over the fire, he abhors you. His wrath towards you burns because of your sin. You've offended him infinitely more than ever a stubborn rebel did his prince. And yet it's nothing but his hand that holds you from falling into that fire every moment of every day. O oh, sinner, consider the fearful danger you're in. You hang by a slender thread with the flames of divine wrath flashing about it. And God's hold hands you there, hand holds you there every day. Do you get why God is so angry? Joshua 7 verse 9 tells you, what then will you do for your own great name? God's anger at sin is not just because of your sin, but because of his name, his fame, his reputation, his honor. He is good, he is pure, he is holy. Remember the psalmist asked, Lord, if you marked our transgression, who could stand? Or the words of Jesus. Remember, if you read the Gospels, he says, if, if your eye caused you to sin, gouge it out. If your hand caused you to sin, chop it off. Sin matters. Remember the book of Narnia where Lucy turns to Mr. Beaver and says, but Aslam, is he safe? And Mr. Beaver goes, he's not safe, but he is good. Because our God isn't safe. He's not a pet cat. He is a God who hates sin. He must punish sin. He judges justly. This is horrific, isn't it, that Achan would die? Just as an aside there, I mean, we don't know whether we'll see Achan in heaven. You thought about that? Yeah, he messed up and he suffered a massive consequence, but he may still have been a man of faith. We don't know that. But I guess the question that you and I can answer is, can what happened to Achan happen to you and me? 
And the answer is both yes and no, isn't it? Yes, it can, because no matter how privileged you are tonight, no matter how much you know about God and you've experienced his goodness and his kindness and his, his presence, uh, there's still that, that bias towards sin. We're still captivated by the trinkets of this world. Of course it can happen to us. God sees, God knows, God cares. Sin matters. But no, it can't happen because the same punishment for sin cannot happen. Remember how the chapter started, 7 verse 1, the Lord's anger burned. And it ends, verse 26, with the Lord's anger was turned away. Literally, it was propitiated. The punishment has been paid because a man died. They come forward a few thousand years to another man who died. And he too was picked from a big crowd and he stepped forward. But unlike Achan, he did no wrong. He was the perfect son of God who suffered a barbaric death. And if you, if you think that the, the stoning of Achan and his family was barbaric, take yourself to Calvary and see an innocent man being flogged and beaten and spat on and hung to die. That is horrific. And as he hangs on that cross, he cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because as Jesus hangs on a cross, at that moment in history, the wrath of God, the, the anger of God, that white-hot anger, is being poured down to one man for your sin and for my sin. And the punishment that we deserve, he took. And God's anger is turned away. And that's why we sing in it, My sin, oh the bliss of the glorious thought, my sin, not in part but the whole, is nailed to the cross. And I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh my soul. Because I'm a wretched sinner. And I deserve God's wrath and God's anger. But I turn to Jesus and I leave my sins at the cross. And I look at the cross, I look at his blood that was shed, and I say, thank you. Thank you that your wrath was turned away because of the Lord Jesus Christ. And thank you I stand here today forgiven. Forgiven. Isn't that amazing? We're individually responsible. But we come to the cross and his blood washes away our sin. But I want to finish tonight by returning to where we started, the the corporate consequence. Because my private life is not just my affair. That's the principle that runs through the whole Bible. Achan's sin had a profound effect on the whole people of God. And of course we're under a new covenant. And of course we're not told to go on a witch hunt to find out the people who are sinning in our church. But you've got to recognize that your behavior does have an impact on the whole body. Are you aware of that? When one person in church openly flaunts their materialism and their greed, and at first we're shocked by it, but it is never challenged, it soon becomes the norm. When one person in church deliberately flaunts their sexual immorality and, and the church responds, oh, that's okay. What they do in private is, is their business. and Let's not say anything to them because they might walk out of the church. And what happens? A couple of years later, you've got not just two, three, five, but the whole church thinks that's normal. 
Remember that reading from 1 Corinthians 5? Where that man is committing gross sexual immorality. And the shock is not that he's doing it. The shock is that the church, the church are boasting about it and doing nothing about it. And Paul says, shouldn't you warn them? Shouldn't you love this person enough to warn them? And these verses say, stop judging those outside the church. Stop looking at the world and judging them. Look around each other and love them enough and care for them enough to help them to stop sinning. Maybe that's where we fail so badly because church discipline is kind of a dirty word. But when it's done well, you know, when, when one person takes the plank out of their own eye and lovingly sits down with another person, just one-on-one, and says, I I just want to encourage you that this is not pleasing to God. We've got to do something about it because like a cancer, it will spread. And what God told Joshua in verse 12, he said, I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy whatever among you is devoted to destruction. Now here's what one commentator said. He said, would it be going too far to say that the apparent abuse, would it be going too far to say the apparent absence of God in various segments of the church today may be due to our unwillingness to purge evil from our midst by the costly exercise of church discipline? And I don't think it would be going too far. I think he's spot on. Are you surprised when the world laughs at Jesus when a church allows paedophilia amongst clergy to go unpunished? Are you surprised when the world laughs at Jesus and mocks the name of Jesus when the church refuses to to actually discipline people who who are willfully and deliberately and blatantly going against the word of God? What about us here in Kirby? God is more concerned about the honor of his name than he is for any success that we might plan. We can, we can have the most wonderful building project so the gospel rings out. And we can have 12 mission partners so the gospel goes out. But God is more concerned about our holiness and our godliness. God doesn't need us to grow his kingdom. God could do it through lots of other churches, but he graciously uses us. And we need to be concerned for the purity and the godliness of this church family. Isn't it a loving thing to do, to sit down with somebody, take the plank out of your eye, and just to rebuke them for their sin? You ever thought about that, my friends? That no man is an island. Your failings, my failings, it impacts the whole body. And that's why we sing together, don't we? Together we sing about Jesus. Because my Savior is your Savior. And his blood shed for me was shed for you. That's why as a church we gather to publicly celebrate the the forgiveness that we have in Christ. So why don't we do that right now? I'll invite the musicians forward. We're going to sing an amazing song. What can wash away my sin? And the answer is nothing but the blood of Jesus.